Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and today we have a pretty fun interview. We're talking to Jared Bauman. He bought a site. He acquired a site that was earning about 2K per month, and within two years, uh, 5X it's nearly 10K. So we're going to dig into all the details, including you know figuring out which site to buy, some of the things he looked at, as well as all the steps and sort of prioritizing what to do if you want to emulate what Jared has done. So Jared, we we uh, don't know each other too well. So welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, joining me. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. I've listened to the show on and off for a good number of years. So it's great to be here and uh, and be with you. Awesome. So for people that don't know you too well, can you give a quick intro, just a little bit about yourself? You, you know, you don't have to go back to childhood, but yeah, let us know a little bit about you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I uh, I have been an entrepreneur really since I, I graduated college. I went to uh, University of California, San Diego. Born and raised actually in San Diego, as we were talking a bit about. But um, still live here to this day. Went to college here. Started a photography business while I was in college, which probably was what kept me here. Um, uh, grew that over the course of about a decade. Um, went on to sell that company. Started a company that did editing for professional photographers, uh, right when kind of digital was becoming the norm, uh, kind of dating myself, but you know, the transition from film to digital, um, grew that with a partner sold. Um, it went on to sell my shares to, to my partner and, um, went to start a marketing agency. I, I, we'd always grown, I'd grown those companies on the back of, of digital marketing. So it just seemed to make sense that the next venture would be, uh, would be digital marketing. So that's what I do now. I run 201 creative, which is a, a digital marketing agency. We, we do all forms of marketing, but I will be honest that over the years, we've tended to specialize now in SEO. So that's what we get referred for. Very cool. What kind of photography business was it? It was events. So like weddings, corporate events, that sort of stuff. Mainly, uh, we did some other stuff. Once you get referred, you know, people start referring you for everything, but mainly weddings and corporate events. Got it. And like you said, you started in the film world. Did you study photography in school or did you just have it as a hobby and then, you know, ended up going deep into it? I have a minor in photography. So I, I was the oddest major minor combo in the history of the world. I majored in basically statistical and regressional analysis and minored in photography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Like why? I, those two. Well, uh, that's, I, you know, I've never been asked that before. That's a good question. Um, when I went to college there, I went in undeclared cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I figured out by sophomore year, I'm like, oh, I think business would be cool. You know, this is right where I was getting the urge to start my photo business. And so I went into like place where you declare a major and I'm like, I want to be a business major. And they're like, that's great. We don't have a business major here. Who doesn't have a business major? <laughs> Uh, so I guess the closest thing was what they called management science, which basically is statistics and regressional analysis. Um, management science doesn't make sense. So I just say statistics, regression analysis. But then I was getting into photography and also wanted to learn how to do that better because I was starting a business and enjoying that. So um, I was able to bolt on the minor, but it was certainly left brain, right brain kind of stuff. Interesting. And then how long did you run that business before you sold it? 11 years. Okay, cool. And then obviously as a photographer, you realized, hey, these editors are doing pretty well. Can you talk about the transition to like starting the editing business? Did you have a big team? Um, how did that look as you were like transitioning out? Yeah, it started to solve our own problem. It wasn't ever supposed to be a business. You know, we, um, you know, if you think about it this way, like, the transition was really hard for photographers because we used to shoot an event and take all of our film and go drop it off at the lab on a Monday morning. And then we were free to do things like market our business, enjoy time outdoors with our family. And then we go pick up the film on Thursday and that was that. But then when we went to digital, we had to be the film lab. So now we had to sit behind a computer and edit. And it was cool because control, but it was a time suck. So Anyways, we hired an editor to come in and help us. And all of our photographer friends were like, oh my gosh, that's a thing. Can we, can we get access to that? So that was kind of the, the beginning of the company. Um, yeah, we grew it to where we had um, you know, thousands of clients worldwide. And 
We were in um, dozens and dozens of countries. It was fully remote. So everybody uploaded their images to us. And then um, we would edit those images for them and get them back to them in, um, you know, 48 to 72 hours. And, uh, and, and that, you know, certainly was a good company to have as, as the full transition in digital was made. Got it. Was that around like the aughts, the, the 2000s, like 2005 onward or so? Yeah, I think we started at no seven. Um, actually, we started the I, we started the week I met my wife, so it made our first couple of dates a little bit. Uh, I was I was already exhausted from starting the company. Um, I can always get that, but yeah. So I mean, there was some overlap with running the photo studio and starting this. Didn't really know where it was going to go, and then at one point made more sense for me to put my time into that, and so that's when I sold the studio. And then I was with I was with uh, the company shoot until 2017, 2018, I think 2018. Cool. Okay, and we'll we'll skip over the the um, marketing company for a minute here and just jump in and figure out like when you became aware of like niche sites and and sort of like the SEO side of it, the affiliate marketing side of it. So again, we'll, we can skip the marketing piece, but I'm sure there was like. Hey, all of a sudden you realized, hey, these SEO guys are making some money, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah. That that is the most down and dirty version of how I got into this. <laughs> and you're exactly right. <laughs> okay. Perfect. So we'll dive more into it when we jump back uh to the marketing company. 201 Creative, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's hit the punchline now. Tell us about um, some of the stats, some of the results for the website, and we'll we'll back into it. But I like to you know get to the punchline fast. Tell us the revenue numbers uh, starting out, what they ended up being, uh, traffic, all those details. Yeah, happy to talk about all the numbers and whatnot. But the punchline is that we bought a website at the beginning of 2021, and it was making about two thousand dollars or so a month wasn't even very well tracked because it wasn't your standard affiliate style revenue. And uh, two years later, uh, somewhat painstakingly, not necessarily easy, but two years later, it was generating about nine to $10,000 a month during the high season, the Q4 season. And um, uh, traffic went from probably about 20,000 page views a month when we bought it to um, it's now eclipsed over 200,000 page views per month. And uh, I'm trying to think of anything other... Relevant facts, you know, revenue, page views, that's probably the the real punchline, high-level stuff. We'll get into the content a little bit more, but how much content did it start with? And then what is it at now, number of posts or however you judge that? Yeah, so we had over 4,000 posts on it when we bought it. We deleted that down to under 1,000 right away. We actually kept calling it down while we were adding new content. It's now back over a thousand. It's probably around twelve hundred posts or so right now. Okay. Do you want to talk about why there was so much content? Four thousand posts when you got it. So this was like this was an, a website that was probably about twenty years old when we bought it, maybe eighteen years old, and so um, it had been around during. Um, I think it was starting like two thousand four, two thousand five. So. It had been around during a time period when, like, you weren't. Oh, here's a, here's the best way to describe it. It was around in its heyday when blog commenting was a thing, when people interacted on blog comments, and so all the posts were about like industry events, moments in time, nothing green about them, and then all of the comments was where all the interaction had. And people would come to this website to like get the news of the day for this industry and then discuss it, debate it, and talk about it in the posts um, as comments. So you can imagine that upsides to this website were age and history and relevance and great backlinks. And the downsides to this website were thin 200-word articles with 3,000 words of comments about a topic that no one's cared about since the week after it went live seven years ago. Okay, interesting. Where did you find the site? They, the previous owner hired our agency to help him migrate the site to a new theme, found out that just, you know, through getting to know him and interacting with him through that, you know, we kind of became colleagues and then found out that we like to uh, buy and build websites on the side. And after 
about six months, he's like, you know, I, I hate working on this thing. Like, this isn't really my main gig. Like, this is kind of a th- side thing for me. I don't really like it. I can't seem to move the needle on it. You told me you guys work on websites on the side. What do you think of buying it? Cool. Pretty organic. Did you get a pretty good deal on it since it was, you know, off market? Yeah, off market, man. I'll tell you, it's, um, I've bought sites on, um, some of the, you know, the, uh, the marketplaces and that's, that's all luckily for me always gone very well, but there's just so much more flexibility on the off market deals. So we were able to buy it for like mid five figures, which is already a decent, you know, like a fair multiple. Um, uh, when you look at like what it was making, but we only had to put like 30 or I think like 30% down. And so basically we took how much the site was making per month. And those were the payment terms for the remaining, whatever was 12, 14, 15 months after that. So we put like, uh, whatever it was 15, $20,000 down on the site. And then the rest of the purchase was just made in monthly installments, basically from the earnings. Obviously the earnings could change. They could go down, but that's kind of how we set it up. Cool. Pretty, pretty smart. And probably, you know, since you had a business relationship with them, they trusted you a little bit more. You didn't have to compete with other offers. So it was favorable for for both of you guys. That person got it out of their hair and didn't have to worry about it anymore, which is a big win yeah. for them. He didn't want to like go figure out the market of it or, you know, and that was a foreign world. It's hard enough to put a site on the market when you know what you're doing. It's even more overwhelming when you're like, oh man, I don't even know how to, my, I don't even hardly even know how to log into my site. You know, I've got to go figure out how to put this thing on the market. So I think it was a win-win for everyone. We're still friends to this day. We still text and, and talk and, and it's so yeah, worked out really well. Awesome. Well, you have a great post on your site that we'll um, link up to so people can dig in a little bit deeper, get some of the, you know, the graphs and charts and other details in here. But you have a SWOT analysis on the site. Can you quickly tell people what that is if they're not familiar with a SWOT analysis and then maybe some of the high points for this particular site? Yeah, SWOT's an acronym for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's like when you think of quadrant, like you can kind of make a quadrant out of it. It's like a four-part analysis of a business, a website, a relationship, pretty much anything. I mean, you can can go use a SWOT analysis methodology. And so um, it's something I like to do with almost every opportunity. But so I published a SWOT analysis or I actually went back to my notes from our SWOT analysis that we did. Um, So I'll go through just kind of the high levels on this one for this site. Uh, Some of them we've already touched on the strengths of this website were that this was like a really well-aged domain. And it wasn't, um, you know, I know you work a lot with Otis and their aged domains. And um, and this is like an aged domain that had never been dropped and was still getting traffic throughout the whole thing. So it's like an aged domain, but it had never really had any any downtime. So that, that was good. Had a great um, niche-relevant backlink profile. Looks like it was a DR56 when we bought it. I'm, I'm looking at it here. So weaknesses we kind of went through. Um, thousands of articles were out of date any organic traffic. Um, no one had really paid attention to the website who knew what they were doing. So it had a lot of tech debt, which we'll get into. Um, opportunities. So at first glance, when you see content that's on a site, you think, oh, we could update that and get that freshness factor boost and re-rank it. Um, we had opportunities to go publish new content, which we did take advantage of. There were no affiliate posts on the website. There were no buying guides or anything like that. So we could take advantage of the high DR, the, the high relevance and published buying guides. Um, there were no ads on the site uh, in terms of an ad, like an ad partner, like an ad drive, Raptive, Mediavine, all these Ezoics, these kind of things. We could add that. And then they had a small email list that we could try to revitalize. Those are what we listed as opportunities. And then threats were that the tech debt was going to be overwhelming and not make it profitable which kind of happened, but we did turn it around. (laughs) And then that the affiliate opportunities wouldn't turn out to be very lucrative. You know, we were really hoping not to just stick with Amazon and stuff. So anyways, that's like a flyby of a SWOT analysis. You can go as deep as you want, but you can also keep it as general as you want. Perfect. Yep. And people can obviously look up more on how to do a SWOT analysis. It's pretty, um, it's a good business skill to have. So you, you, you make the deal um, it looks like a, a good opportunity for you to spend some time on it. How do you figure out where to start? Because there's, especially with 4,000 posts, it's like an overwhelming number to even think about. So 
how do you audit the site and figure out what you need to work on first? Yeah, so we did a site audit, even though we'd done one like six months prior when the client had hired us, we did another one. Um, and, you know, like I like to talk about this because we do a lot of audits and a lot of content plans at our agency. That's, you know, we do them every week. And like the audit tells you where things are and the content plan tells you where you need to go. And so they're done, they're best done together because it's a bit like, you know, one side of the business, not talking to the other side of the business if you don't know. So the audit kind of told us what was wrong and where we were at. And I mean, the biggest thing to do is to kind of get together all the data that allows you to make decisions because it's really easy to get a lot of data, but not have it give you the ability to make decisions. So like you can get traffic, but then if it doesn't have maybe um, the number of backlinks each corresponding article has, then it's hard to make a decision about whether you delete it or 301 it. If you get um, number of keywords that the URLs are ranking for, but you don't look at traffic, then you don't actually know if those keywords matter or not. And so getting all the information into one big spreadsheet and then just starting to go through and categorize. Um, the problem with this site, I alluded to it earlier, it's like some of the posts look like they would be easy to prime candidates. And then you go in there and you're like, what, what do we do with this? Like it's 3,000 words of comments and I can't even run like a surfer analysis on it because it takes into consideration all the comments and it's not really about anything. And so we ended up deleting a lot of the content that we thought we were going to be able to work with. Um, and the problem is once you delete content, like 500 articles, now you've got all these broken internal links. and you got So it, it's like an iterative process, this scale. Like you, you do around and then you clean up and then you do around and then you clean up and you do around and you clean up and then you just watch how Google's crawling the site. Watch and how the rankings are changing and then let that kind of get where you're going in the future. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any tips for people that haven't done like a, a big an analysis on, uh, I guess a content audit really? And they're, they're not sure like, do I 410 this? Do I 301? Do I just delete it? Like any, any tips? Is there a guide that, that you use? Yeah. I mean, so uh, here's the down and dirty of it. This is kind of how we approach it at the agency. It's pretty much the site. If, if the article has been live for at least six months and it's not getting any traffic, we usually recommend deleting it. And even if it's good, because people will argue, well, what if it's good content? Usually it takes more time to update that article than it would be to just redo it. And it's not like that article is getting any measurable traffic at any point in time anyways. So that's, that's the way to approach it that maximizes ROI, which is typically what our clients are concerned. <laughs> so at that point, if you're going to delete it, it's just a question of whether to 410 it or 301 it. Now, 404 versus 410 probably doesn't really matter. But if you're anal retentive like I am, a 410 tells Google this page will never be live again. Don't come back. Whereas a 404 is actually a temporary removal of the page. And so in theory, the bot could come and crawl back. So anyways, I digress. 404, 410, whatever. If it doesn't have any backlinks, just get rid of it. If it does have backlinks and they're worth preserving that back, you know, it's a good backlink, you like it, it's, maybe it's got a couple backlinks, then set up a 301 to something that's relevant. Um, and then content that is ranking, maybe it's not getting traffic, but it is ranking for keywords. Or maybe it's not getting much traffic, but because it's on page two for a bunch of keywords, those are the ones you want to go in and up because that has the high ROI associated with it. Like if you're sitting on page two, number 12 for a good keyword, probably not getting much traffic from it. But if you go in and update that, that actually would have a higher ROI because if you get on the first page, you could actually. Perfect. Okay. And because there were just so many pages, you probably didn't have a hard time just saying, you know what, we'll just kill, kill this page. We'll get rid of it. You're gonna have plenty left over. So let's let's talk about um well, quick recap. So did the technical audit, you created a plan. So you kind of have a prioritization on what to work on. So what did you work on first? What ended up being the highest priority to fix right away? Um, so getting rid of all well, tech so there was a, a certain amount of tech debt that we just solved right out of the gate before we started deleting stuff. Um, I took a screenshot actually and published it, but it's like all sorts of dumb stuff like H1 tags were, you know, there were like four H1 tags and a bunch of stuff. Um, there were no cat, uh, no authors 
and only two categories for 4,000 pages. Um, there were uh, large image sizes that we could um, quickly go in and just like run short pixel for like six days on. <laughs> they could get them down to size. There were like MX record issues. Um, Google fonts was like, so we kind of went in and did like a, just like kind of your classic, like let's fix the high level stuff. Then we started deleting content. And it took three or honestly, probably three months to do the iterative delete, fix, delete, fix, delete, fix. And then after that, it was when we kind of had the website to about where we wanted it. And we redid the categories <laughs> now that we had the actual amount of content we were keeping and redid the internal linking. So that actually what made sense and then set out in basically that order to start publishing new content and, and kind of going forward from, from where we landed on the site. I need to go back. I forgot to ask you. So it didn't have, it sounds like it didn't have the traditional revenue model. Where was it earning the money from? Oh yeah. yeah good question. I'm glad we talked about it. Wasn't earning money from like an Azoic or a Mediavine. Wasn't earning money from anything like an Amazon or like that. Uh, it was only earning money by selling ad spots on the website to vendors in the space. And they would pay a monthly fee to have their ads served either as a tile ad or in the sidebar. There were like different placements. And it was earning anywhere from like $1,800 to $2,400 a month based on who was paying and, and that sort of thing. Got it. So from the opportunity standpoint there, I take it that's where you saw like huge opportunity because it wasn't earning in ways that you know are pretty profitable. However, there was no content to to earn money in those traditional ways. Is that is that accurate? And do you have anything else to add to it? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like I'm always looking when we'll talk about maybe how to get into like analyzing a website a little bit to buy, but I'm always looking for where am I, where are my skill set and where's there a gap? No, like I love buying a site. Uh, I don't buy a ton of sites, for, by the way. I know some people like buy sites all the time. I don't buy many, maybe one a year. But if I can find a site that's getting like a bunch of page views and it has no ads on it, that's like a quick win. Um, or if we can find sites to monetize affiliate commissions, that was really one of the big highlights of this site is that you get a DR56, it's niche relevant, and I can do some things I already know how to do. Okay. So it sounds like a slam dunk, right? It wasn't monetized that well. But if I heard you right, it took a little while for for you guys to get some traction. So number one, is that is that right? And like what assumptions were wrong that made it take longer than you expected? So it took a lot longer than expected. Um in the in the name of hitting the punchlines, like it took a it took over a year before we saw really strong uptick. There was signs of an uptick by the end of that first year, but we didn't start seeing like double digit increases in traffic and, uh, and stuff until like the following year, like darn near 18 months in. I think it was mostly related to the fact that on paper, this looked like a really good, strong domain, had a lot of content published and it looked like um, it was uh, very prime and ripe to just get a ton more going for it. But the combination of a website that basically I think Google had said, hey, this, this site's not changing. We've been crawling this site for six to 10 years now. And it just keeps publishing stuff that we crawl it once. And then that's, it's not gonna be relevant anymore. There was that going for it. Plus we changed the makeup of it. Like a site that has over 4,000 URLs doesn't have categories, has no internal linking, isn't very crawlable, all these things. And we completely reworked everything by deleting a ton of content, but also changing the navigational structure, changing categories, changing internal links. And because of the history, it, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but it just took Google forever to start um, giving us some, uh, some love from all this. So yeah, it took quite a while. There were you know little breadcrumbs along the way, and we did find other ways to monetize and grow the revenue, but it took about 12 to 18 months before the site took off. In hindsight, is there anything that you think you could have done differently? Obviously, you won't know, but just curious if there's some theories in your head. So I'm a big fan of deleting content. I, I, I do it a lot, like in bulk. Um, 
Um, I recommend it to clients. And I, I have to say that sometimes a near instant fix and sometimes it's a really long process. This was the longest I've ever seen, but it definitely, I don't think deleting content is a quick process at this point. Um, I have seen it be that way, but if I wanted a quicker return, I definitely shouldn't have deleted over 75% of the content. Okay. I'm, I think I would have got more crawling on the new content if I just put that on the front page and just tried to bury the old content. But maybe that changed so much of this structure because I, it was a very different site when we were done with it. Gotcha. And is the theory, I guess the site architecture changed so much that it confused Google? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the crawl rate wasn't great to begin with. And I think, you know, that didn't exactly help. Um, uh, sure. Over time, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, probably we were also, it's, it's, it's two things. It's deleting all this content, deleting all this, changing everything, but also a website that really, it wasn't like it was just getting a lot of traffic and then something happened and we came in. It had been darn near a decade since it was getting a lot of organic traffic. Okay. Yeah, so weird and... Like there's not, I mean, even people in really big agencies, it's probably pretty rare where this scenario comes through. And I bet if you looked at a lot of data, I'm purely speculating. If you looked at a lot of examples, I bet it would just be random. You you barely could draw any conclusion on what the right thing to do is. That's just a guess. Do you have any other insight on that? I mean, when we delete content at an agency, it's like deleting like the bottom 15% or it's, Hey, is this topical silo that you wrote 25 articles about really that important to you? Cause it doesn't seem like it's part of your brand. Oh, it's not. Okay. Let's slice that totally underperforming silo off. That's 5% of your content. Like it's never above 30, 40%. And here we are doing it like 75, 80% of the content. Yeah. So. Okay. So yeah, I mean, we were kind of playing with fire and uh, we definitely got a little burned if your ROI was about getting a quick return. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay, let's let's transition to publishing new content. So you deleted a ton. You knew that you were going to publish more stuff. Can you talk about maybe like keyword selection and how you approach publishing the new content? And I'll throw out, this is a horrible interview style. I, you already got two questions, all right? So content. Um, and you could also talk about the team or who's writing the content as well. So... It's important to note, because I, I got this question before, like, um, because I have an agency, the whole model with building affiliate or content websites on the side was a solution to this problem we all, a lot of us agency owners have, which is like, some months you are really busy, other months you are much slower. Some months clients need a lot of content, other months they don't, and they need more PR work or more email work. And so you have these ebbs and these flows as a company in general, but you also have these ebbs and flows in what's getting ordered. So agencies solve that in really one of two ways. You either um, have a team and then just deal with the ebbs and flows and some months are more profitable than others, or you kind of outsource most of it to keep your costs manageable with the ebbs and the flows, but then you don't have as much control of the product and deliverables and that sort of thing. I always liked the former. I really, I think SEO is very nuanced, so I kind of wanted control. Shoot, what do we do in those down months? And you're stressing out about payroll and all that. So I thought, well, why don't we build a little, why don't we build websites on the side and we'll just put our team on them in slower months. And that way we'll have something that isn't losing us money. We're growing an asset and then we can kind of shift. So some months they won't get as much attention. So that's kind of the model. And that's where this is. So a lot, to answer your second question first, most of the work was done by writers who work at the agency. And, um, you know, when it was slower, they would work more on this site. And when it was busier, they wouldn't work as much. Um, not experts, as it were, for this website. So kind of more of the generic writers who, you know, know how to research and write well, but not an expert here. Um, yeah, so once we got through all the deleting, that was probably three, four months in, we started publishing content in as much as we could. Um, uh, we researched uh, like a content plan style of, of attack. So kind of going out and combining a bunch of different keyword research methods from like a content gap analysis of what other competitors, I use air quotes, like other sites that we kind of thought should be a competitor of ours. Um, we could go after what we thought were some pretty big keywords being like a DR 56, 58, whatever it was. Um, 
And then also just looking at um, like uh, low hanging opportunities, like long tail, low competition keywords, uh, kind of combined all that. And then we did pick a cup one silo to go after. So inside of our niche, we picked one topical silo to start in, and we just committed to writing almost all the articles in that topical silo before moving on to the the next one. Um, and yeah, so we we hit it pretty hard. We were publishing like I think in the first few months of publishing about seventy to eighty articles a month. Um, and then when um, when we started getting busy in Q three at the agency, we had to back off that. A- and back down. But in that first year, given that we didn't even really start publishing content until a couple months in, we published um, 317 new articles. When did you start seeing traction for the new articles? Maybe in terms of, um, you know, clicks, of course, but even just impressions on Search Console. So the articles, we, we, you know, let's just call it Q1 of 2021 was all about technical work. Q2 was where we started publishing a lot of content. And then starting in Q3, we had kind of backed down a bit. Um, so we didn't really see much uptick in traffic um, until the end of the year. I'll pull up the exact numbers. So, you know, when we bought the site, it was 19,846 page views. Uh, six months later, July was actually 18,160 pages. So it actually dropped a little bit. Turns out that was a little seasonal. Summertime's a little seasonal in this space. Um, October was back up to 21,000. And then um, by January, we're at 24,000 page views. So by January of the next year, 12 months later, we were only up like 20% in terms of page views. It didn't start rocketing until we hit about 18 months in. And that's when we started seeing like 33, 37, 49, 65, 87,000 page views. Some real growth. So do you think it was pure speculation? You know, it's fun to do as an SEO. So do you think it was more the amount of time or the amount of content that you published or something else, right? Any guesses? In terms of what made it finally hit? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that, I I think it was a combination. When we bought the site, we did not build really any basically no links for the first year we were like it's already like a really really strong domain and after a year we we're like you know maybe we need to maybe google's not really crawling these links anymore maybe these links don't matter in the way we kind of think of it as an seo so i think it was a combination of hitting a critical mass where google was like okay we're going to respect you as a topical authority now and some building some links did drive some you know or traffic and, uh, and and internal linking and external linking to the site to provide a little bit more of a reason for Google to crawl the site. I think it was a combination of those two things. Gotcha. Uh, that said, would you, like if you were going back, would you spend some of the effort building links from the beginning to, you know, let Google know people do care about this topic area and the site's publishing new content and it's getting new links as well? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Um, so I, uh, it's probably a good opportunity to share what happened at the end of the first year. And I don't know how related they are. Uh, you know, like you said, like these are all just a lot of theories. There's a lot of different things at play. But in November, so we bought the site in January. In November of that year, I got on a plane and went to a conference in the niche. Um, I, I got invited by the previous owner uh, and he was like, hey, you should come out. Like, I don't really have any interest in coming to this conference. And he's like, well, I don't know. You own the site. I used to go to these things all the time. And I was like, all right. So I got on a plane and I went out there and I realized a couple of things. First off, I just went around and like shook hands with everyone. Figured if I'm going to go, I'm going to put a smile on my face and I'm going to, um, I'm going to represent this website. And people do knew, did know the website in the industry. So like, it wasn't like a classic affiliate style website where like no one actually knows who we are. And, People land there, never come back. Like it, it was a little bit of a brand. And so the first thing I noticed is, wow, there's booths here. And every one of these booths is actually an opportunity to advertise on the site. Like, these people are out here spending money to get in front of these people. And these people are the people that are not in, but some of them are coming to our website every month. The second thing is I made a lot of good relationships. And that was when the website started to turn. Now, going to the conference has nothing to do on paper with ranking on Google. But it was when things started to turn. And um, 
actually met someone who was speaking at the conference there and we were chatting and he said, oh, you run a, you run a marketing agency. And I said, yeah, that's what we do. We run this website on the side. And he's like, I made a course uh, a couple years ago. It's really good. Like it was filmed well and stuff. I, I don't know how to sell it very well. Do you want to buy it? If you bought this website, you want to buy the course off me? Um, I don't know. Be What do you want for it? He told me and I was like, I looked at the course. It was very well produced and he gave me a very good price. So we bought the course off of him and went back and started putting it into the website and all into the email and all that kind of stuff. But in general, like going back to your original question, we started building links right after and they weren't related, but right after I got back from this conference, I started kind of networking a bit as well. We bought a course. We were able to launch that. That got some buzz. There were a couple of things that started happening right before the website finally started to take off. And I don't know how related they are, but you know, I thought I'd share it. Yeah, that's that's cool. And as I've started to go to more in-person events, yeah, those connections are so much better than e- even like a a warm email, a cold email is terrible. A warm email introduction, you know, might get your foot in the door, but like if you go hang out with people, shake their hand, you know, chat with them about, you know, whatever, life and other topics unrelated to business, you really make those big connections. So that's pretty cool. Can, now, you don't have to share this, Jared, but like how much maybe a range did you pay for the course? Is it a video course? Like, was it a pretty thorough um, piece of work? Yeah, so it's a, it was a video course. It was like between two to three hours long. So maybe a mini course. Like, it's not like a 30-hour course. It's not like the be-all course in this niche. It's like a subtopic in the niche. But this guy was like the expert on it. Um, that's what, what he was speaking about at that conference. And so he gave us a price for, we'll, we'll say well under $5,000 for the course. Oh, that's great. I mean, when you think about a course like that, industries are very greatly, but you know, you're probably thinking at least, you know, a hundred bucks, maybe a few hundred dollars for such a course is a couple hours long. And, you know, yeah, we you charge, have to sell we charge 39 for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, you know, you sell a handful of them, made your money back and the rest is profit after that. So very cool. And he was stoked by the way, cause I was like, Hey, you're still speaking. Like you've got a little website. What about if, if you sell the course to us, I'll give you an affiliate deal. So if you still want to sell it, like you don't own it anymore, but I'll still pay you, I don't remember, like 35 or 40% of the course. He's like, whoa, seriously? Awesome. He's like, let's do this right now. So he was really stoked. That's awesome. Yeah. Again, another win-win situation. Well, let's stick on the area of monetization. So sort of publishing more content. You were actually you know, going to events. You got a digital product, which is like the holy grail. And a, you know, a, the creator was actually helping you market it, which is even better. So you get like borrowed authority. So what else were you doing as far as monetization as you were getting more traffic and growing? So the, the first, so we had published a bunch of, of buying guides as part of that initial content sprint. And that did start, you know, slowly as traffic slowly picked up, started generating some money. We, we, we initially went with Amazon and then said, Hey, we'll come back and you know, kind of test some different affiliate products once it actually gets some traffic. Um, we were still getting money from those vendors. Thankfully, the old owner kind of handed off those relationships really well. We lost a couple in the transition, but, you know, picked up a couple. And so that stayed pretty steady. Um, we, we inherited a, a small email list with the website. It hadn't been taken care of very well. And so we kind of revitalized that and put together a little autoresponder sequence, put a pop up on the website, start, started generating more emails. And so then once we had the course, we were able to, to market that right out of the gate. We got it in time for Black Friday. And I, th- I think we marketed it that year for Black Friday as like a promo. That added, I don't know, three or four grand in revenue um, to, to that. And then fast forward to the beginning of the second year, when traffic is finally starting to pick up, we were able to qualify for Ad Thrive Raptive with, as a second site, because we have another site does have, you know, well over 100,000. And so once it hit around 30, 35,000, I think that was when we were able to qualify for that. So that started coming in. And then down the road, we did end up adding an ebook and some other, um, op- uh, some other direct sales opportunities through the email platform, which we can get into. That was all in the second. Awesome. 
And yeah, keep going. Yeah. With um, what you mentioned there with the email platform. So the email, email has turned out to be one of the biggest drivers of kind of ongoing revenue in this. Um, especially when you look at the fact that like, if you break off course sales as their own bucket, but really email is the driver of a lot of that, like the email autoresponder sequence does promote the course. So when you look at email, um, and then in year two, we started interacting with brands that were already advertising a site and we're like, Hey, um, like this, this email list is growing. It's, it's a small list. It was like 1,800 people when we got it. And it was growing, I think it's now up to 5,000 people two and a half years later, right? Like, so it's not a big list, but it's got a really high open rate and they're, they're, you know, they're really invested and, you know, thinking about high priced products to some degree. So, um, we started going out to these vendors that were paying us a small amount per month to just have a listing and say, do you want to get in front of our audience? email do you want to advertise in our email do you want to sponsor an email you know kind of the classic stuff that we talk about on these kinds of podcasts and different different companies would have different promos they wanted to promote like hey yeah we've got a new product coming out or we have a sale coming out that we want and so we started generating several thousand dollars per month just from the email list and selling to other vendors to be a part of those emails on an ongoing um on an ongoing basis that's awesome what is the main driver for growing the email list. It is literally just a pop-up with a free ebook. I'd like to say it's better than that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, classic lead magnet. Well, to that point, have you explored like other lead magnets? Have you tested any, anything else? Just re great question. So just recently, like two months ago, we were like, you know, the email list is so profitable for us. Why don't we at least come up with like three lead magnets based on the type of content they're on? Like, so they're if on like category, like, why don't we just create a lead magnet that's targeted towards category A and I made three lead magnets and three pops. I think it took all of like three hours, you know, like you can take your top five posts in that category and then like tell chat GPT to make an ebook out of it, you know? And like, so it's not hard if you already have the content to create these lead magnets. So we did that and I, you're, you're right. That's some, I need to post this, um, and actually add it to the, um, to the case study. Uh, but it, it almost doubled the conversion rate of the opt-ins. So it went from like a 0.3 or 0.4% up to like a 0.7 or 0.8% opt-in. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Awesome. Do you think there are a lot more opportunities to come up? with even more um, lead magnets, content upgrades, which are specific for the people that don't know, there's specific lead magnets for a specific piece of content that tend to convert really well. The quick example, like for the keyword golden ratio, I have a calculator that does that. So if <laughs> someone watches a video, they're like, well, I, I care about that. I want the free calculator. Yes. Yeah. Um, like generally speaking, I don't know if this is your your take on it like having done this a lot like the ebook is like the lowest barrier to entry as giveaway as a lead generator and as a result usually has the lowest conversion rate and if you can come up with things like calculators or um quizzes or uh, different uh like uh, well, videos like you know insider videos these kind of things they typically convert higher um Yes, I think stuff would convert better. This niche is hard to think of stuff other than ebooks, which is why I guess from a lazy standpoint or from just a like, I can't really find something off the top of my head that I feel like is worth us trying out. But the reality is we should. We should try out a couple of different things. And generally, even a segmented ebook is just doesn't, it doesn't perform like something that's far more valuable to people. Have you thought of partnering with influencers on other platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, is that, you know, I feel like there's such a big world out there. There are people in every single niche, whatever, however weird it is, there are influencers out there where you guys could partner up and do some cross promotion kind of stuff. I, I do. I mean, as we were talking right now, it's like, you know, we, we bought a course off of an industry influencer, basically. Like, why couldn't we network somehow with some industry influencers, some other ones to create some content that people would find valuable that would also like be add value for those influencers. Like we kind of did it with one person already. Why don't we do that again? So yes, I think that's a great idea. I was 
kind of thinking along the same lines as I'm talking out loud about it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, there's so many opportunities. And then uh, a, a level on top of it, I like give you a bunch of homework assignments to, <laughs> to think about. But um, are there other courses that other people could create? It sounds like, you know, maybe you don't want to create a full course, but that dude, it sounds like maybe it was a good relationship. You could commission him or his peers to create another course in a similar area, right? I'm writing it down. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the the nice thing about this brand that we bought is like, for better or worse, it does actually is a brand in the industry. Um, not like a popular one or like one of the big ones and not, not like that at all. But, you know, they're actually, the benefit of a brand is like, there are people, I would imagine, we'd have to try it out, that would say, yeah, I'd like to create a course and earn money. But also to build my career, it'd be nice from a, an acumen standpoint to have my course featured on this brand. Um, and that's just the benefit of one of the many benefits you get when you have an actual brand. And so I do think people, there's got to be some people out there that would find that valuable. For sure. And then have you, because there are other influence out, influencers out there, have you partnered up with them where they're your affiliate to market the course that you purchased? Not yet. No. So we, we, when we bought it, we kept it on the same platform it was on, which was not, it didn't have an affiliate program. And so I think it was one of those things where it was like, okay, well, just, all right, that's, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. And then it's been a year. Finally got it moved over to like Teachery or Teachable or one of those, you know. Sure. And now it does have the ability to, to, to do affiliates. So we haven't like tapped into that, but we just got it moved over a couple months ago. And we're just kind of working out the, the billion kinks. But finally, we are on a platform where we actually could give affiliate codes out. And so that's going to definitely be something we do in the next probably couple months now. Okay. Man, this is cool. So are you kind of the general manager pushing this particular project? Yeah. Yeah. Like I kind of run the strategy on it. And then, okay. um, you know, we have different team members that, you know, less is urgent. If something's urgent and everyone's busy, it's like, uh, you know, Oftentimes it'll be me or my business partner, but yeah, if it's something we can kind of plan for, we yeah. can person the team to, to take care of it. Gotcha. But I was going to say, like, if you had, like, if you had a general manager, I think you have a list of like twenty things you could explore to like really. I mean, now it has traction. You got the digital product. It sounds like there's an industry out there. People know the brand. I'm like, there's so much to do, right? <laughs> oh, there's. I mean, I'm actually talking a little bit with. Because, um, you know, in the last couple of years, like uh, I've started hosting a podcast. And so now this guy's like, dude, maybe um, do you want to come speak at this conference? Mm -hmm. So I went from attending it, you know, a year and a half ago to maybe I might speak at it this year on marketing, which would be nice. so such a flip of, you know, like it'd be so weird to go to the conference about marketing to people who are in their own little niche of a website that we bought into. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of very cool. All right. Well, but again, doing the thing we don't normally do. That's kind of the ironic thing about it. Like we typically as website builders, um, we tend to stick and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but ironic how many opportunities have come because um, I'm comfortable in front of a camera. I'm comfortable meeting people. I'm comfortable with that kind of stuff. And that, I don't want to say it's odd, but like a lot of people who like to build websites aren't. But man, if you could challenge yourself to open up some opportunities in areas you're maybe uncomfortable in that a lot of people aren't willing to go into, that's where like a lot of these monetization opportunities and growth opportunities have come from. That's an awesome point. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of the work is, you know, when I'm down in the basement, right? It's down in the basement, front of the keyboard. Maybe you have a couple of friends that you can chat with, but um, it's a and kind of wrong a with solo. That. Yeah, yeah. And I mean- you can get a lot of work done, um, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you go to in-person events or, you know, even slightly more online social like forums mm -hmm. or something like that. You can make some more connections. So, okay. So I asked a, a lot of questions. We jumped all over the place. W what things did I forget to ask you or what things are important that we haven't gone over yet? You know, I mean, the track, re uh, the track record, the, um, the timeline in the second year was was pretty funny because 
I'm looking here, like it really took until 18 months in to actually explode in traffic and then subsequently in revenue. Um, so I think, I mean, in general, this was just another reminder, like, um, I don't build a ton of like affiliate style websites, but I, I have a couple. Um, but we work on like 25 to 35 businesses a month. I kind of know what I'm doing. Um, I have a lot to learn, but this isn't my first rodeo. And I mean, we were like 12, 14, 16 months in and like looking at ourselves going, man, did we just make the biggest mistake ever? I mean, it's not going to kill us. Like it making about the same as what we bought it for. Yeah, we've invested a lot of money into it that we haven't gotten back yet, but it was, um, was I don't depressing is the wrong word, but it was really deflating. That's probably the right word. And um, you know, so I think that just in general, I think we didn't do a lot different between months fifteen and eighteen to get it to take off. It was just a lot of always reevaluating and making sure we felt we were still on the best path and kind of sticking to it. Um, a lot of times, people will look at like these growth curves and then see like, oh, what did you do right here to get it to hockey stick? And it's like not a lot different. Just we 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 did continue to reevaluate the plan, but it was a lot of the same things. We just had to keep asking ourselves that we thought we were doing the right thing. And then sometimes it takes all that momentum to build up and then take off. And and that's what did end up happening. It just took a lot longer than we thought. One of those overnight successes that was like 18 months in the making. And do you have any handle on how many man hours were put into it or any any kind of quantifiable capital or anything like that yeah i know i didn't keep it's hard to keep track of exactly what the costs were the, the writer costs the content costs are pretty easy because you know I, we kind of keep track of how many articles how many words are written i think we published just under five hundred thousand words in total now on the site um and then uh i don't know how many backlinks we built in total i could pull that up but in terms of the tech that's the problem is trying to figure out how how, how much time and money all that tech debt uh, took to figure out on the front end. I know it was over a hundred hours of work um, okay. from various people, so I do know that. So it was a lot of work. So that was you by yourself. You know, that's a significant amount of work in the first three months. But I guess hundred hours divided by you know twelve weeks. You know, so it's under ten hours a week. Um, so you could you could bite that off. But then yeah, there's been about five hundred thousand words published so far, and um, I don't have a total on backlinks. That would be great. But yeah. Okay. Um, it looked like we were building like one, two, three a month. And then some months we were building like five to six, a couple months we hit like two months we hit double digits, but that's it. Awesome. Well, what's the plan for say the next 12 or 18 months? Are you guys going to hang on to the site now that you have some momentum going and any specific, um, details of the plan? I mean, I'm halfway between selling it and halfway between doubling it, you know, and I say doubling it, like, obviously we never know if that's the way it's going to go, if this, if anything, life has taught me, this website has taught me not to assume anything. But, um, I mean, we, we, I was kind of like, if we, when we get it to five figure mark, we'll reevaluate. Um, and so I think we're just going to hold on to it and keep growing it. I like the niche now. Um, and we're starting to get some inroads there and I definitely think we could grow it. I mean, the email list, for example, is doing great, but it's only like 5,000 people. This is a big niche. Um, even though we're in like a sub niche of the niche, I still think it's a big and we've seen growing niche and there's a lot more opportunity. I mean, geez, we spitballed for five minutes. There's so much opportunity here if we kind of put more time to it. So long way of answering. I think we're going to, um, hang on to it and focus on doubling down more content, but really more investment investment in the email list in creating our own products and in doing a lot of the other things that have higher monetization. Awesome. And it's not out of left field completely. Everyone's really excited about AI, right? And the week or two that we're speaking, Google uh, has, uh, I think it's SGE, right? It's like the search something. I, I'm, search generative. I can't say it very well. Uh, yeah, I, I'm all flustered too, but uh, there, there's AI summaries in there, right? Google's stealing our content, putting a summary up there. What's your what's your take on it? Any pure speculation? Um, just generally, what we might see in the content website industry. I mean, yeah, 
that's a very big question. And uh, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be doing your job if you didn't ask. So I got to give you a good answer. Um, I, I mean, I think that it's going to be I think it's going to be disruptive. I think it's going to be really disruptive for the style of websites that tackle those long tail question and answer question uh, uh, topics. Um, ironically, I still think those will be somewhat important because Google is just doubling down every year on topical authority. So in many ways, I still think you're going to need those in some form or fashion to show Google you're topically authoritative, yet I don't think you're going to rank much for them. I think that um, for a lot of things, I've been talking about this a bit, is I don't believe that the general layman for a vast majority of things, for well, I'll say a lot of things, wants computer telling them versus a person telling them. That's why affiliate sites started from the very beginning is because in bulk, in mass, people on the internet like trusting a person that they've never met and has absolutely no authority they know of about the product to hold it and tell them what they think. And they like that better than Amazon recommending a product for them to buy. Even though Amazon will say, hey, you, you're looking for um, a, a beach chair, here's the one. They want to go to a website that says, here's my beach chair experience. And so, and we're seeing this still in the rise of video and a lot of things. So no doubt AI will, is going to chip away at a lot of types of queries, I think. But I do still think there's a big spot to be had for people who are in some way, shape or form showcasing experience, because I still look at the past 20 years. I don't see people's value on that going away. Very good. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. No one really knows. And I think everything has moved a lot faster, at least than I expected in the last, say, six months or so. I, um, I mean, we, uh, I, I wouldn't say we were, were ever, we're very heavy on the AI front, no matter what, what spot in time you evaluated it. But um, yeah, it's something that I have to pay attention to now and then has become much different than when it was just Jasper or Jarvis or whatever they were called is the only show in town. You know, it's a much different experience now than even just 12 months ago. It's insane. It, on the agency side, do you guys, are you guys using any chat GPT or any AI tools to help get things done? So we're using AI on a number of like, I'll call it productivity fronts. We don't have any AI generated content yet, but we're, we are testing with several clients with some like, AI base as a base and then heavily human edited and added for like a little bit of a lower price point for them. And so we're testing it and the results have been pretty good so far. People like it. Um, it reads pretty well, but no, we haven't done anything straight AI, um, but lots of AI in the productivity side of stuff to kind of help streamline stuff. Very cool. All right. Well, we're uh, coming up towards the end here. So I'll let you plug all the things that you need to plug in. And I think you have a free resource. So I'll let you, you know, talk about all the places that people can find you. And you can talk about the the podcast too, if you want to. That's yeah. Okay. Well, so mention it. <laughs> I, um, uh, if you don't, if you don't know the niche pursuits podcast, you should, I mean, I know, um, you know, Doug, your podcast and, and Spencer's podcast, niche pursuits have probably been around the, two of the longest standing podcasts in this industry for sure. Um, but um, yeah, so I've been hosting that podcast over there for a couple of years now. It's it's great because I get to meet so many cool people and interview them about industry things. But uh, a lot of people don't even know I have an agency on the side. They just think I podcast all day. But <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm at 201creative.com. That's my agency. It's, if you have any questions about getting SEO work or marketing work done in your site, um, a lot of people ask a lot of questions. So I started weekendgrowth.com. That's more like just a blog to just blog about different things like, you know, SEO topics that we're thinking about or, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, I was T, I was prodded enough to also put some of that stuff on YouTube. So those are both very brand new, the weekend growth like website um, and then the YouTube channel. But one thing that um, as a giveaway, you, you asked kind of at the front end, like how do people evaluate what to do with all the content? It's a site they just bought, whether it's they even have right now. So as an agency, we have a Google sheet basically gathers data from a number of different sources and puts it all into one spreadsheet that you can look at one tab and it has all the data there, page views and backlinks and number of keywords and that sort of stuff. So, um, we'll give, we, we're giving that away for free if you want. Um, it's like, did look up the URL. I, I'm not a guest on podcast much. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I had to look it up. So it's weekend growth 
dot com slash site dash performance dash sheet. And I'll just give you a link for it too, but it's um perfect. It's a it's a bit of a mouthful. Rolls off the tongue. That's great. No, we'll put a link, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can get to it easily. It's a great resource and will definitely help you, you know, do that stuff a little bit faster. And I'll I'll let you, I'm gonna ask a little bit more. So 201 Creative, who's the right kind of client? Who who should check that out a little bit more? Yeah, small and medium-sized businesses. And we work with both uh, uh, like local businesses and then more um, national SaaS e-com style businesses. So we, we, we specialize in both of them, uh, can work well with both of those types of sites. Um, we do work with a good number of affiliate and content websites, um, whether you know, you've been hit by uh, an algorithm update or you are like the two types of content sites we work with are, oh crap, I've been hit with an update. What do I do? Like, how do I get this back on track? Or okay, I'm growing it, it's going well, and I got to scale. And can you help me? So those are kind of the two types of content website creators that work that we work with. Perfect. Awesome. Well, uh, Jared, it's been awesome to connect with you. And we'll link up to all the stuff that you mentioned. And uh, people should check out uh, Niche Pursuits. And hopefully we'll catch up soon. Thanks for having me, Doug. It was a really, really cool to catch up. Really cool to hang out. I keep saying catch up. We've never met before. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. We'll catch up soon then.